to feel happy? Do you want to feel connected, energized? Do you want to feel optimistic, open? That's what it means to live with greater well-being. And that's what we're talking about right here on Polly Campbell Simply Said. Hello, hello, hello. I'm Polly, and you're listening to Polly Campbell Simply Said, the podcast where we talk about how to live well, do good, and be happy so that we can do the work that matters and live the lives we want to live. And, and we talk about it every week here. You know, we've, we've been together for several years now. We talk about staying well and finding joy and living authentically and being compassionate and accepting with ourselves and others, even when life is messy. But what does that mean? And what does that really look like in our bodies, in our homes, in our offices, in our families, in our communities? When there is so much anxiety and upset and unkindness in the world right now, the people are feeling, I've, I've heard from many of you, and this is a real thing for many people, is it possible for us to be well? Despite the things going on externally, is it possible for us to sustain our well-being? when so many are apparently not experiencing well-being today. That's what I want to learn about today. And we're going to get into it with our guest, the well-being doctor. Dr. Shanna B. Tian is here today. She's known as the well-being doctor, and she's a social psychologist, a former senior global human resources professional, a speaker and writer. While in academia, her research focused largely on mental and physical health in minority populations. She writes and speaks on topics of well-being. And this is interesting to me, and the ways we may infringe upon the well-being of others. She's a TEDx speaker. Her writing has appeared all over the place. I found her in Greater Good magazine. There's some great stuff from there. You can also see her work in The Guardian, Long Reads, Pipe Ranch, Yes Magazine, other places. And she was a 2022 National Magazine Award finalist. Currently, Shannon B. Tian is the founder and chief practitioner of Wellbeing Works, a consulting firm focused on employee well-being. Doctor, the wellness doctor, welcome to Simply thank, Said. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Thanks well, for having me. I'm so happy. There's so much I want to learn and, and talk about. And you heard my lead-in. I mean, everywhere we turn, it seems like uh, people have legitimate upset and concerns. Some are complaining. For many, it's real. They're lonely or they're sick or they're afraid or anxious. So is that a, a, the way it's going to be now because hard things are happening? Or can we tweak that for ourselves and others and support each other through this to feel better? Yeah, I definitely think that there is hope. Um, I no one is sort of um, misled to understand that the pandemic had a really important impact on our well-being. Uh, for a lot of people, there was a lot of uncertainty. We saw rates of anxiety and depressive disorders and symptoms go up. People had to deal with very traumatic things like the loss of loved ones or missing out on really important milestone moments of family and friends. And so we are likely going to be recovering from that for quite some time. But in that, you know, I do think that I like to think of it, despite all of the terrible hardships that the pandemic brought on, it did create a space for sort of a, a sort of societal awakening or, or turning point. And with any kind of awakening, there is always a period of sort of 
growing pains that we have to work our, 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 ourselves through. And I think that that's what we are feeling now, that these sort of public health aspects of the pandemic have have diminished, but now we are dealing with a sort of residue and trying to wade our way through. And, and one of it, I, I think, is it, it opened up a sort of metaphorical crossroad for a lot of people where they took some stock on their life, what was important, what they wanted to do, family and friends. And a lot of people are still trying to figure that out in this sort of new iteration of society. And I think that that also in in addition to the loneliness and the anxiety i think that that also contributes to some of the um, sort of lower moves and stress that people are feeling right now trying to figure it out figure out the what next of their lives i think that's an interesting point because it's really easy to look outside of ourselves and well the political system and the economic system and all these things are falling apart but also my life changed too i changed because of what i went through so i am looking at the world with different eyes too absolutely absolutely people are are, are trying to sort of reconcile who they are in this sort of we're not really post-pandemic but this post height of pandemic period. I think that that represents a turning point for a lot of people in different areas of their lives. What do you mean when you talk about well-being? I mean, this is your career. This is this is the way you live your life and, and what you teach. What are we talking about? Is is that our physical and mental health? Is it is it how we approach our lives, our world? How do you define it? So it's an outcome of sorts. And the way to define well-being, it is this general, and even if people don't know what it means by definition, when you say it and sort of sit with it, for most people, that term sort of resonates with them internally and, and, and sort of elicits a certain kind of feeling of sort of warmth and sort of lightness and openness. And so really what well-being is, is the state of being happy and optimistic about your, your life. And what we know is that our mental and physical health are two of the biggest uh, indicators or variables that impact our overall well-being. So it's a complete package, but the it's a more of an outcome of when you are in a state of, of well-being, you are typically very optimistic and happy about your life and your life context. If if work is going well, we're more likely to experience well-being because all those things set up to help us feel good or our family or whatever it is then. Well, yeah, so this is the thing. It doesn't have to be related to one specific thing. Work can be going bad and not great. And but if you have sort of felt empowered to be able to take yourself out of that environment and you're making a plan, you can still occupy a state of well-being. So it, it doesn't necessarily, it, it depends on the resources you have in any particularly stressful moment that you may experience on the personal or professional front. Ideally, we want workplaces to cultivate environments where they are creating a space where people, employees can come and feel uh, like they have a sense of well-being while driving the business outcomes. But even if that is not present at the individual level, people who feel empowered, meaning they have other resources to be able to change that workplace context, can still feel a state of well-being because they are sort of maintaining this agency and empowerment. 
that's something I want to get in because I think that's such an interesting idea. I, I tend to, to lean on the positive side. I I'm, I'm tend to be optimistic. However, that doesn't mean that I don't feel sad or beaten up or unhappy. But you're telling me that it is possible for us to have well-being and still acknowledge that we need to change these systems, that things are not great all the time, that there's unhappiness and poverty and discrimination and all these other things. We can have both then. Absolutely. And in fact, I think it's necessary, particularly for people who are in the social justice space, the DEI space, who are fighting against these things on a regular basis, what we know for, for sure is that when you do not have a state of well-being, it significantly impairs your capacity to do that work. It can, impa it can impact your cognitive functioning, your, um, for example, your prefrontal cortex, executive functioning skills, your capacity to strategize, emotional regulation, all of that can be impaired. And so really, uh, it is really central to the work of trying to change the world that you have this state of well-being. It doesn't mean that everything around you is perfect, but what it does mean that as from a physical and mental health perspective, you feel that you are able to maintain a certain baseline of, of control, of health, uh, and have the resources to be able to combat any particular stressor that may come up in your personal sphere. But it doesn't mean that the whole world is fixed and everything around you is great. It really is about what is happening in your own personal sphere. And, and also tangentially, I think family does impact that, work does impact that as well. But it doesn't mean that everything has to be great in every aspect of your life. This is so helpful, doctor, don't you think? I mean, what, you, what you're saying is, yes, you can have all these things that we're all experiencing in different capacities, and yet we can go within and still create an outcome of well-being through looking at different variables, the resources we pull in, the people we have in our tribe, the, the family, Absolutely. all those things. I, I love that we can impact that. How did you get started thinking and studying? How did this become your life, life's work? Yeah, it's interesting. So this is a second iteration of a career for me. I started off, I was a Peace Corps volunteer, actually. Ah. And um, yeah, did Peace Corps and ended up doing a stint in international development as the head of director in, in director of admin and finance for two international nonprofits in sub-Saharan Africa. So we moved around from, started Peace Corps Cameroon, then I moved to Chad, Uganda, Rwanda, came back stateside and then did, um, a, a brief stint uh, uh, within an HR department for an INGO before going back to school to, to get my doctorate in sociological social psychology. And it was during that period, a couple things happened. One, I was in the worst well-being of my entire life as I tried to navigate a very rigorous doctoral program. I maintained full-time consultancy status, so I consulted full-time because I was an older student. I went back in my early 30s and I had a family, and so I couldn't just live off the, the academic stipend I was given. So I worked, I consulted full-time, and, you know, my husband and I, we had three kids, and so we were... I was sort of juggling all of that. And I was maybe two years into the program and I was having these sort of unexplainable uh, gastrointestinal problems, breakouts, body aches, 
really bad lethargy where I could not keep my eyes open unless I had like a bright screen in front of me or I was constantly eating just a myriad of things that only in hindsight or only in the two year mark that I realized, uh oh, these are my signs of distress. I'm in trouble. But it took me two years almost mm. or maybe like a full year of having this before I realized that this was an indication that I was not in a healthy state of well-being. So there was that sort of a thing that happened to me. But also, it's a very interesting environment to study social psychology, which is interested in human behavior and what drives it and group dynamics and things like that. And to be, because I was consulting still within the human resources sphere, so to take that and sort of map it on to what I was seeing in corporate spaces, I realized, wow, there is quite a gap here from an organizational perspective in how to foster an environment that can support employee well-being. It often is deferred to HR professionals, but a lot of the things that are necessary for that, I never knew in my HR career until I did the social psychology program. And so it was those two things, the commitment to myself that I would never get that low in my well-being again. And also uh, a deep felt belief that because we spend so much time at work, people sh and employees should be able to work in environments that care about and support their well-being. And so that came together to sort of um, encourage me to start well-being works and, con and, in, and in tandem with that, continue to research and write and speak on the topic. Because I, I don't think that well-being should be uh, a luxury. It should be something that is available and accessible to everyone. Yeah, I agree. And I want people to know that. That's one reason I wanted to have you on here, that despite, no matter your life circumstances, there are ways through this and into this. And I think your story is really interesting, right? We, 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 learn what we need to know. We teach what we need to know ourselves. I do that in my career all the time with writing. I, I had you here because this is something I'm thinking about. But I wonder too, and then we're going to go to a quick break, but I wonder too, if this isn't an, an interesting time to evaluate well-being in business because so many, because of the widespread changes that are occurring in the workforce and in our families, it's really at front and center. If you want to get employees realize they want more in their work life and their work experience, bosses and managers are realizing they can have a more productive, connected staff if they provide some of these things. Are you seeing changes or is it still too slow to notice? Yeah, I, there is there are changes that are happening, I think, in the corporate space that weren't present, particularly pre-pandemic. A couple of things the pandemic did was, one, it, it caused organizations to realize, if they didn't realize it before, how important, for example, things like employee mental health is for the organization because they were seeing it reified. They were seeing the signs of distress at a really high level during the height of the pandemic. And they realized, a lot of organizations, that they did not have this knowledge and skills to manage it. So there's that part of it. Then, because of the pandemic, this sort of metaphorical crossroad that I talked about earlier, uh, because uh, 
people started to really evaluate their lives and what they wanted, a lot of employees started looking a lot harder at organizational culture and deciding what kind of cultures they wanted to work in. That really was the impetus of what was termed the great resignation. Employees were leaving not because of pay, which you would think would be the key push factor, but because of poor organizational cultures. And so as a result of that, a lot of the forward-thinking organizations are really uh, looking at ways to foster employee well-being and investing in that, sort of resourcing it through time and budget to be able to support their employees. Some are even going as far as uh, creating positions for well-being officers. So there is a shift. Will I say it's a critical mass? Not yet, but those organizations who are smart and who learned from the pandemic are continuing that momentum now. It's an interesting time, and we're here with the well-being doctor, Shanna B. T. Ion, here on Polly Campbell's Simply Said, and we're going to come back in a moment to talk about how we can cultivate all these variables that contribute to our well-being at home and in the workplace. We're going to be back right here on Polly Campbell's Simply Said on the best business network of Electrocast. And we're back with the well-being doctor, Shanna B. Tion, and we're talking about cultivating well-being in our lives. And, and doctor, you said that well-being is really an outcome, that there are all these things that go into creating this, this warmth of health and energy and physical and emotional stability and health. How can we, is this something we can do in our own lives? Can we create our own well-being or is it dependent on other things that maybe are outside of us? Well, yeah, I, I, there is a lot that you can do at the individual level to promote your well-being from a sort of physical and mental health perspective, a self-awareness perspective. But keep in mind, because as humans, we are relational beings, for most of us, part of those sort of resources that promote the, our overall well-being will be about the, the key relationships that we have. But, you know, in thinking about well-being, sort of in in evaluating the different contexts of our lives as a starting point that may be having an adverse impact on us or positive impact, you know, the things that maybe are not uh, edifying us in the way that we need are maybe what we call well-being suckers. They're sort of sucking the well-being mm -hmm. from us. And then the things that are sort of building us up are well-being drivers. The challenge is that most people don't always recognize when they are in a poor state of well-being. And so that that's, that's comes from a lack of maybe understanding what their signs of distress are. For example, in my uh, story that I shared earlier, it took me a year to realize I was in distress. I was just so in it that I thought that that was just how I had to roll in that experience, but that wasn't the case. And so I think before even evaluating the different life contexts that you have, understanding what distress may look like for you, which is a potential sign of poor well-being, is a really good um, starting point because it lets you know when you may need to ramp up your self-care. And I say this all the time that we talk about self-care and I ask people in the trainings we do at Wellbeing Work, so what is self-care? And people will give me all the ways you can do self-care. It's a bubble bath, making time for yourself, taking a walk. 
But essentially, self-care is about our capacity to manage stress in healthy ways, Hmm. be it proactively in building resilience or reactively in responding to a stressor in our life. And so once you understand your signs of distress, you can understand how to activate your self-care toolkit. Hmm. And that is a really important skill in trying to be vigilant about our our own well-being. So a lack of well-being doesn't necessarily show up in a physical way for everybody then? It's going to appear differently? Absolutely. Absolutely. It will appear differently. And it, it it varies. It operates on a continuum. It's a snapshot in time. If you were to assess your well-being after turning in a huge project that was sort of draining versus after you won the mega millions, it's going to be different. And so it, it really is a snapshot in time and it impacts everyone differently. Everyone's sign of distress when it is low it will be different. I, I've never thought about it like that, but but that really makes sense then to sit back and evaluate how you're feeling in any given situation, in the good stuff and the bad stuff, so you get to know how you're responding to those things. Absolutely. And if you can't, if you try, you're not sure, ask other people. Chances are others around you who are close to you know when you're the, what some of the signs may be that you may be in a poor state of well-being. So even if you can't tap into that, reach out to those you are connected to and see if they have any insights to share with you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You write, and I find this really interesting, and I also have a little nervousness about this because I may have been this person, but you write that it's possible to infringe on another's well-being. Absolutely. Absolutely. How, what does that look like? What do you mean by that? A lot of the isms that we have in society, the racism, the sexism, the ableism, Mm -hmm. ageism, that is, that is, in fact, something that can infringe upon the well-being of others because it adds this, I I won't even call it, it's, it's a stressor of sorts, but it is a stressor that can have a very meaningful impact on people's lives, even people's access to the resources to support their well-being. And so... The, the writing that I do is about well-being, but the ways we may infringe upon it. And for me, it, it mostly has been in the area of um, racism and, and sort of explaining how that impacts lives beyond the slight or the action, but how it really can have meaningful and generational sometimes impact on the lives of others that do not contribute in a positive way to someone's overall well-being or life in general. When I read your work about this, it really got me thinking because I've been in situations where um, I'm excited and and I care for them and I want to share this information with them and, and I want it, you know, to help them. And I'm thinking that has infringed because they don't come with my back. I I don't have their experience. My experience and background and what I bring is different than theirs. And so perhaps I'm putting pressure on people to respond in a way like me when when they're going to respond in a way that's more suited to them. and, And I need to be open to those things. Is that a way that it could impact the workforce and my coworkers? So, yeah, that's an interesting one. And and this idea that, and and sometimes it's oftentimes uh, subconscious that people have that there is a right way or best way to do or respond to something. Um, And it can even be enthusiastically sort of, or motivated through enthusiasm, 
but th that sort of tracks with sometimes if you've ever gone to a job interview or heard someone who went to a job interview and they, they said, oh, they want a right culture fit, right? And that culture fit sometimes is a reflection of a sort of um, homogenization of who is mm -hmm. in the organization. It's not about culture at all. It's about how you're hiring. And so mm -hmm. sometimes if we are not careful, if we are truly not open to new ways of thinking and being and doing things and, and experiencing things, we can homogenize uh, what is the norm and therefore either discredit or keep out other perspectives. And, and I don't know if that is sort of exactly what you are saying, but there is a risk of that if that enthusiasm sort of um, drives us to believe this is so great, you should do it absolutely this way and doesn't create a space for individuality or um, a difference of experiences or approaches. And, and, I, and I do see that quite a bit in organizations. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly what I was trying to say either, but I think you hit it on the head. I find that I feel better. I have greater well-being when I'm open to the experiences of everyone that I'm connecting with, good and bad, um, mm -hmm. because I learn more. And then I'm able to find the resources I need to grow or move to the next possibility and hopefully do the same for them. Anytime I'm closed off, that is definitely not, or, or pigeonholing somebody to do it my way, which is an easy tendency at times for me. That doesn't make me feel my best and it doesn't bring out my best either. So I, I think that goes to what you were saying is know what what does it for you, right? We have to, to create our own well-being. Not only do we have to be able to recognize the, the things that detract from it and where we are today, but also then make that change to go to greater openness or, or take on self-care acts and, and time that is going to boost us up and, and get back to that healthier, good feeling place. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I tell people one of my key takeaways from anything I do is to be vigilant about your well-being. You are your biggest sort of investor in that who's going to have it on the radar. And so and, and typically, too, when people think about productivity and bringing their A game and being able to do that in any sphere, personal, professional, athletic, you will never know what your A game or what your full potential in life is until you are attentive to your well-being because mm. whatever you think you're doing now if you are truly in a full state of well-being you could probably 10x or 10 times that and so it is it's really something important for the quality of our life and also the quality of the work that we want to do in the world yeah i i really think this is the way to change the world right by working with ourselves to be in that place of our most powerful good feeling position yeah, absolutely. more to give. Are, are there any common denominators? I recognize what you're saying about each of us bringing our own experience and feeling this different ways. Are there any common denominators that boost well-being for people, things that we can do to to get back in line during our day or week? Sure. So, um, so if well-being is sort of, you know, the the sort of moving up a continuum we know for a fact that stress has an opposite 
a sort of relationship with it. As stress increases, our well-being tends to decrease. And so anything that we can do to be able to manage stress that occurs in our lives is will impact will positively impact the well-being of everyone and particularly sort of interrupting our body's automatic stress response we know stress sort of the, the foundational definition is about our mind and our body's um, response to a demand for change and it doesn't have to always have an adverse impact on us if we have the resources to be able to pivot and make that change but when it does have an adverse impact it kicks off the stress response in us and that stress response sort of sends our bodies through this surge of sort of biological processes that can have longer term mental and physical health effects and so to the extent that we can sort of either minimize stress in our lives or interrupt that stress response in a way that it doesn't sort of take over our bodies and our minds, that can absolutely have a positive impact on our well-being. Also thinking about uh, our own mental health and what is going on with our mental health in terms of uh, distress in terms of challenges, in terms of situations or relationships or medical history that may uh, cause mental health challenges and being really open to therapy. I think clinical support is one of a, a wonderful tool that most adults should have or try in their self-care toolkit, but because of stigma, it isn't normalized. Um, we know that in racial and ethnic minority groups, there's also other challenges in, in terms of socialization and cultural acceptance around therapy, but that is also, I think, a common denominator that can be really helpful, not just in times of distress, but for keeping us on a sort of steady and upbeat trajectory for our well-being. So those are just two things that come to mind. Yeah, both of them. I, I'm a huge fan of therapy. I, yes. I just, it has helped me in some, and plus it's totally interesting to learn how we work, right? We're not bad or good. We're, we're just humans having Absolutely. these experiences. So we talk about therapy on this show a lot. The bottom line, is we can stabilize our well-being and use it to be more of who we already are. And uh, I appreciate you uh, coming on the show. The well-being doctor, Dr. Shanna B. Tion is on the show today. And that's great information. I think we should all hire you and work with you because we yes. need to remember that we have these resources within them and yet within us and yet we can cult cultivate them as well. I think that's a, a hopeful message and a hopeful way to go through the world even right now so how can we find more of your work and and follow you and get in touch sure yeah there's a couple ways the website for my company is yeswellbeingworks.com uh, my personal website where you can see some of my writing and speaking is shannabtion.com and I have a couple of interesting uh, Instagram handles. One, we, my husband, my family and I, we do what we call suburban homesteading. And so uh, we're at on Instagram at Black Suburban Homestead. And I just started another handle because I am an aspiring triathlete and also an ambitious person in my own right and trying to figure out how to put all these pieces together. So <laughs> looking for a community of women, other ambitious women who also have uh, uh, physical fitness goals to share resources on how to make it work. And that is at try, T-R-I, underscore I-N-G underscore to figure it out. You got a lot going on. 
Yeah, and that might be part of the problem. I might have too much going on. So we're going to see. I'm in an experimental phase of my life right now. <laughs> I think that's fun. I'm in an experimental phase too, and you can find me in my newest venture at uh, Substack. Dot com. Join the community there. And I've just recently launched a new podcast called Simply Write. And you can join the subscriber community of Simply Write also on Substack and find me at polycampbell.com. Listen, you know, listeners, how I feel about this stuff. I created a whole show around to come talk about it each week and learn and share with you and you share with me. Because I think these connections remind us what we're capable of. And it's okay to feel good in your life. It's okay to do the things you need to do to take care of yourself, to get professional help, to develop relationships and connections that support you and make you feel good and connect with that in return. It's okay to be all of who you are. And that means living a life with greater well-being. When you do that, we will all live well, do good, and be happy. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electric acid. Electric acid.